Hello and welcome to Access Chat. I'm delighted to welcome back to Access Chat after a, a, a long, a long break, several years since we last welcomed Axel Lebois. Axel uh, is founder of G3ICT, which is also responsible for um, IAAP and the M Enabling Conference, which is taking place this month in Washington. So. Welcome, Axel. It's great to have you back. Um, I think it's uh, 11 years since the first um, M Enabling Conference, and, and this will be the uh, the 10th edition of the conference. So um, long running now, and I think that an awful lot has really changed in the in the just over a decade of time that's intervened. In, in, in. Um, so, so what are the sort of key things that are going to be happening in the conference? this year. So what are the, the, the real key themes? Well, first of all, uh, people have not really met in person for, for a long time, uh, although we did have the conference uh, in person uh, late last year. I think this year is getting back to normal in terms of size and uh, the variety of speakers and, and attendees. So I think the first thing is uh, people are getting back to uh, meet each other, Stakeholders who uh, need to uh, interact uh, are back. Uh, and it's really important because, as we all know, in matters of digital accessibility, uh, you need all the parties involved to uh, create solutions together. Uh, persons with disabilities, uh, companies who use technology, technology providers, uh, policymakers, every single category of stakeholder is crucial to make progress. So we, 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 that is our main attribute of the conference is to be a, a neutral, friendly platform for everyone to meet and be productive in uh, brainstorming new solutions and uh, pushing the envelope, you know, uh, every year, year after year after year. Yeah. So, so, so one of the things I've really enjoyed about the conference when I've attended previously has been the fact that there have been a lot of, um, Decision makers and corporate strategists and and uh, policymakers at the conference, which is it's a somewhat different flavour from some of the other accessibility conferences that we go to, which are all about technical implementations and so on and so forth. So I think that I, I found it really uh, useful to have those corridor conversations with people that are implementing policy in large organisations and and really. Um, having those rich discussions about um, some of the challenges that we face actually doing this in the sort of complex world of organizations that are you know, spread across hundreds of countries with many, many thousands of employees and, and multiple different types of technologies and so on and so forth. So the, 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 you know, the, the depth of the conversation and the, the sort of some of the topics, I think, uh, are somewhat different from other conferences, and I think that that's yeah. It, it's good that we have all types of conferences, but it's definitely for me. I found value in 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 the attending and and being part of those conversations with policymakers, and you know you've had you know, chairman of the FCC along, so you know it's really you know a mix of practitioners and regulators and so on and so forth. So I think. Um, how do you, you know, that's a benefit, but how do you think that the, the attitude towards regulation and and sort of enterprise deployment of, of accessibility has changed over this decade? 
Well, first of all, uh, you know, once a year we, we, we have that survey coming out, which is the state of the accessibility report, which we have done with one of our longtime partner, Level Access. Uh, uh, and uh, one of the very interesting trends we have noticed over the past three years is that historically, when you ask uh, organization why, and, and by the way, that survey has about 1,200 organizations participating. So it's a large survey with a large sample, a third in, in outside the US, two thirds in the US. And when I say outside the US, it's a large part European companies. Uh, and what we found is that the main driver for accessibility implementation in large organizations uh, used to be compliance. And since I think it is last year, compliance was bypassed by the desire to meet their uh, DEI objective. You know, uh, uh, so it, in other terms, the inclusion uh, values of the organization seem now to be the number one motivation uh, for uh, large implementation of uh, accessibility. And that is a sea change, honestly. Uh, so to answer your question about attitude towards regulation and so on and so forth, I think in a way Europe was ahead of the curve there because we found in Europe also many companies dedicated to accessibility for a value, value proposition reasons, you know, because they, they want to make sure that they pursue a corporate social responsibility objectives in the best possible way and are inclusive of persons with disabilities. But again, uh, in the U.S., the compliance was so such a, such a concern that it used to be number one. It's not anymore. It's uh, number two behind, uh, you know, uh, meeting the inclusion objective of the organization. So that's a big change. Uh, regarding regulations, uh, I would tell you that one area of great concern is uh, web accessibility. And as you know, uh, even from your own experience, Neil, the issue of web accessibility is extraordinarily complex, uh, especially for some organizations that have to manage millions of pages, millions of uh, electronic documents, uh, tens and hundreds of millions of transactions, you know. To be 100%, to be honest, I mean, I don't think that anyone will pretend they are 100% accessible. There is always somewhere, somewhat, for some reason, a bug. And so um, the, re the, the, the way, uh, at least in the United States, and even outside the United States, the lack of precise definition of what web accessibility obligations were was really a disservice to everybody. Uh, so uh, you saw in the US uh, settlements and uh, uh, legal disputes and everything around web accessibility. Um, and uh, fortunately enough, quite often it ends up being uh, negotiated settlements and people commit to improve and so on and so forth. But it's still like, uh, if you are like a, a head of compliance, to answer your question about attitude toward regulation, you really want to know what you have to do and you need to know it very clearly. So uh, the interesting thing is that last week on September 29, uh, Senator Duckworth and one of her colleagues in the uh, House of Representatives in the U.S. introduced a new legislation on web accessibility, which actually is a game changer if it were to 
I move forward the way it's currently written. Uh, so, of course, at the summit, <laughs> you can bet this will be an intense subject of conversation. But uh, I would say, in general, uh, enterprise advocates, everybody is saying, hey, let's have a proper clarification of what it is and make sure that whatever you know legislation or regulation is uh, implemented is re realistic and actionable because if it's not then it's like you have done nothing and for that you also need feedback from everybody from big users of internet and web services uh, folks who provide technology and remediation services and of course person with disabilities uh, this is going to be a very very interesting debate uh, very very and we are glad that we are it happens we are just there when it comes out so uh, the summit will be the first uh, venue where it will be discussed at length. Axel, um, welcome to the program. Welcome back again to the program. The one thing, and uh, Neil had written in the window, it was Senator Sarbanes, uh, yeah. along with uh, right. you know, our wonderful um, Congresswoman. But um, <clears throat> one thing that I saw, whenever you first started M Enabling, uh, the M Enabling Summit, um, I was sort of surprised because the M was mobile and no one else was talking about mobile, only web. We were only talking about web at the time. Also, I was very involved in the disability inclusion conversations, but I did not see anyone talking about accessibility except in little pockets. I know that I was on the board of a very well-known business-to-business organization that supports businesses with disability inclusion, and we weren't talking about accessibility. We, and I don't know how you do disability inclusion without accessibility. So that was another thing that you decided you were gonna talk about. And then just to make things even more boring, you were gonna bring in the aging, aging in place. Nobody else was talking, nobody brought those two together. And then assistive technology, accommodations or adaptions. And you're gonna talk about it from a global perspective, not the US perspective, which is what we all were talking about. Every once in a while we talk about those, whatever in the UK and those Europeans, but it was all about the US until M Enabling Summit. and. And it just changed everything. I remember that one of the first, I can't remember if I've been there all 10 years or not. I know I've missed one, but maybe I missed two. But you also brought the FCC in, the government into these conversations, but not just our FCC, which is our communications agency in the U.S., but you also brought in our Office of Disability, um, I, I forget the acronyms, our Department of Education, our Department, our OSERS. We have a lot of departments and government agencies that support people with disabilities, and somehow you brought them all together as well. Why? How did you know so much was going to happen I mean, it, 10 years later, it seems like maybe you had a crystal ball or something. So I'm just curious. So, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the, uh, the history is as follows. When we, it was in 2009, 2010, more or less, I think, uh, you know, we were going to many meetings around the world and in the U.S. about accessibility and especially assistive technologies. But then we saw that the mobile, the global mobile marketplace was growing exponentially and that the sheer size of the mobile market would allow industry to invest far more in uh, accessibility features in their operating systems. And we felt that the scale of the, the market would continue to drive 
applications and services that otherwise would not be economically feasible and more importantly likely going to be helpful to every uh, everybody uh, using a, a mobile phone or a mobile device and therefore end up uh, you know having an incredible momentum that would then in turn help all persons with disabilities so for instance you know, text-to-speech, speech recognition, geolocalization, near-field communications, uh, of course, uh, camera and video communications, and, and so on, and, and on and on and on. And you, you know the, the whole, if you take your menu, your actually menu on a mobile phone, you have the whole history of the past 10 years right there uh, in, in terms of what happened. Imagine that 10 years ago, 11 years ago, when we started the M&M Summit, there was no, no such things. So... Uh, we felt that having the Enabling Summit staged uh, in Washington, where a lot of decision makers regarding accessibility are located, on the disability side, on the government side, on big corporations policy maker side, uh, would, would be a good, good platform, a good venue to really start a very high level, executive level dialogue about accessibility and digital inclusion. But uh, also, uh, as we were looking at the, um, uh, the, the trend in the industry, we felt that staging competition for accessibility would be the best possible advocacy strategy we could pursue. And so very quickly, and you, you will see this year, uh, Apple is here giving a presentation the same way they did 11 years ago at the first summit. And uh, you will find the same from Google and the same from Microsoft and so on and so forth. So, uh, you could see that suddenly not only we recognize the merit of those innovators in big tech groups, but we put them on the stage so that each year they would come and say, hey, look at what I did this year, those new features and this and that, you know. So I think we helped with that event a little bit put a competition in the picture for accessibility. And this was, if you ask me what, what, what are you most proud of, I think that's, that's our best achievement was to uh, serve, uh, you know, leverage market market forces uh, to benefit persons with disabilities for competition for better accessibility. And that's when we started seeing the brands really stepping up too. I also want to shout out for AT&T because Susan Mazarui was just such a, uh, there's so many people to shout out for. So I know that Antonio has a question. You go ahead, Excel. No, I was going to say Susan is, our, is a godmother for the. <laughs> I love Susan. I love Susan. AT&T is blessed to have Susan. Go ahead, Antonio. No, um, so, um, uh, Axel, you, you were mentioning Apple, uh, Microsoft, and Google, but uh, I was interested in knowing that if you look to the profile of the, the people that some of the companies were sending to M Enabling, the, the profile of the employees, the people that were going there, have you noticed any change on their profiles? Uh, are they uh, more senior today than they were in the past? What nuances uh, have you spotted there? Yeah, so we, we in the beginning had uh, a lot of folks from the disability movement, government, uh, and uh, assistive technology and IT, IT players. And we had companies that are mainstream companies using technology for their business. But I would say that last segment has grown tremendously in terms of proportion of who attends the summit. And we did a little exercise for our own kind of marketing thing. And uh, there were about a third of the Fortune 500 companies that have over the past three or four years had delegates at the Enabling Summit. So it tells you that 
large organizations that are involved in accessibility, uh, they like to come to MLMX Summit because it's the mix of information and the peer-to-peer -peer, uh, informal exchanges they, are, they need to actually better understand what's going on. And so we focus a lot of our programming on that segment of folks who are like Neil, for instance, you know, decision makers in very prominent large organizations that actually need to be connected with their peers to, you know, discuss all kinds of matters that are important for their implementation. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, uh, it's becoming uh, almost like a second nature for us that everything we, we plan or we do, we, we try to, to do it with, within in our mind, this type of audience. Uh, it's very important so that, you know, at least once a year, there is a place to go to, to see what's going on. So I, I think that um, absolutely large organizations need to do this. So the other element that I think Antonio was alluding to was the, the elevation of the importance of the accessibility role within these organizations. Have you, have you um, noticed that becoming more consistent? Obviously, we've had chief accessibility officers for Microsoft and IBM for, for a considerable amount of time. Um, but now we have chief accessibility officers at country level, like with Canada, for example. Do you, yeah. um, do you see that this is really a, a significant trend uh, within the attendees? Yeah, I think you will see ma many more folks with uh, even job titles, you know, to just mm -hmm. start that simple uh, example that are chief accessibility officers. Or uh, sometimes you will find it's funny because we, if you go, it's a very interesting exercise. You go to the website of Fortune 500 companies and, and check which one have web accessibility statements. Most of the time, they will indicate who is responsible for it in the organization. And a large proportion of folks are in the DEI sector. Uh, so so it, is, uh, it is really interesting that what I was explaining about the survey we do every year that shows that inclusion objectives are more and more you know, a driver. I think also from a title standpoint, you see a bit more folks who are proactively heading up inclusion matters and digital accessibility matters as, you know, their main goal, rather than someone in strictly in compliance uh, reporting to a legal department, if you will. And that, that is a very significant change, I think, again, that we see among our attendees. But this year, you know, you have folks, I mean, uh, you, you will see, it, you can see it on the program. Uh, we have speakers from some of the largest companies in the world, uh, you know, the Walmart, uh, Accenture, Pricewater, Pricewaterhouse, uh, you know, uh, big tech companies and so on and so forth. Uh, Atos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, 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 you know, it, it, it is, uh, if you just look at the list of speakers, you, you'll see who is there. I mean, that's that. Uh, to, to answer your question, it is exactly what's happening. Yeah. There is that elevation of the function, you know, in organization. But I would say it, quite a bit driven by the inclusion uh, objectives. So, so I think this is interesting because there's, there's, there's a couple of drivers for inclusion objectives as well. So I think that, the, um, for example, within Atos, we have, um, you know, very strong ESG credentials. Yeah, we, we've been leading on decarbonization for a long time and, right. and sustainability. And, and, and we've cited accessibility 
um, within sustainability and ESG. So we map all of the sort of an, uh, accessibility stuff to our ESG. We shape our program in the same way that we shape our decarbonisation program, and we we essentially treat inaccessibility as a negative externality. So we're, we're applying those same, same kind of frameworks. So the drivers are for inclusion aren't necessarily coming from DEI. DEI contributes and overlaps with it, but it's but it's actually part of the financial reporting and, and, and sort of key drivers. And, and, and so those those things which also include, of course, working and influencing our supply chain and our procurement, because um, when you look at decarbonization, there's three scopes, and we're taking those same three scopes when we um, when we address accessibility and the disability inclusion ecosystem, I think that um, when we look at analysts, and I think that that was the one area we hadn't really talked about that attends also, um, and and that I hope will be really engaged this year. The analysts are zoning in on ESG. You know, the Gartners, the um, the um, Everest, the ISGs, and and the Foresters, which influence business tremendously. Right. They are seeing that when it comes to sustainability, it's the, and, and ESG, it's the social that is really of interest to investors and 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 um, people that are buying. So I think that there are a number of angles where inclusion agenda is being driven from the business that are not just compliance anymore. So it's, it's interesting right. to see that sort of um, coming together of, of different forces that are all driving this forwards. No, I think you are, you are way ahead of the curve, Neil, in, in describing what you, what ATOS does. And, and that's, that's the direction we are, we are seeing globally. I mean, that's a terrific actually evolution, I think, uh, that companies see inclusion and accessibility as a core uh, attribute they should cultivate and make sure they implement. Uh, uh, it's, it's 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 encouraging. It really is. Um. And, and I would also say, um, also kudos to Atos and some of the other brands that we mentioned here that are really trying, despite everything being gray and everything. But I, I want to sort of shift to another direction because. Um, I, I do not perceive that the M Enabling Summit is just about accessibility, and nor is anybody saying that. But I'm just saying one thing that I, I was, have always liked about the M Enabling Summit, and we have always, my team has always volunteered and helped because we believe in the work and we're stronger together. But the reason why I thought it was different is because we keep, I find often people are trying to look for the easy buttons and they're thinking, oh, it, no, let's just talk about accessibility. No, let's talk about disability inclusion. No, let's talk about DEI or ESG or SDGs. But the reality is we need to enable humans. We have to enable humans and we have to continue to think about all these things differently which we all agree with. Now we're talking about the metaverse, which you have a session on the metaverse. I mean, I know that Neil, for example, and Susan Scott Parker, and I forget who else, um, they're talking about AI at an ILO event. So we've got to keep talking about all these big things. But I would like to sort of shift a little bit here um, because one thing that I appreciate about M Enabling Summit and G3ICT is that you care about our community. 
And I do not see all conferences caring about our community. And how I'm going to ground that statement is I remember I was always supporting you um, with the accessibility desk because I believe in this work. And so one thing that we were seeing was we were trying to figure out how to support the deaf speakers without, you know, ruining the budget for the conference. I'm just being serious. There was an issue that I was working with Excel's team, uh, EJ Krauss and the G3ICT team. And we were trying to figure out what do we do? Cause this is really expensive. And so I went and talked to other conferences who I will not name around the world. And what I was told confidentially was that we just don't, we do not include them. They're too hard to include. So think about it, audience. How many times have you gone and seen a deaf speaker speaking about this content? How about a deaf blind? How many times have you gone for deaf blind? So one thing that I like about M Enabling Summit is that they actually are including our community across the board. I've never seen so many attendees that are deaf blind. I mean, so I am a fan, Excel of you, and I'm a fan, but this is how we move forward. This is how we get the atosis to care about our community, to learn our community, but I don't see other conferences doing it unless you're a deaf conference. So I just thought maybe you could tell us why Excel did you do that? Because it cost a lot of money. It was a lot of headache, but now you've set the standard very high. Well, um, as I said earlier, we, we, we envision that progress can be achieved if all stakeholders are involved in the discussion. Uh, they have to be there uh, on an equal basis with others uh, and um, have the ability to communicate, to exchange, to share thoughts, to speak, to, you know. And there is no, no way around it. You have got to uh, to uh, <laughs> do what you preach. So, uh, yes, we, we since the very edition of the MNX Summit, we, we ensure that, you know, we had uh, all the accessibility services that should be expected in a, in a meeting where uh, people have to really participate. So uh, that's really the main motivation is to is strictly an, an objective of a complete inclusion of uh, all the communities involved. Uh, I also should say that uh, being in Washington, uh, we already have an environment where a lot of government agencies do a great job with uh, accessibility services. You can't go to the FCC meeting without having full uh, captioning and sign language. You can't go to many of the federal agencies' meetings without the same type of services. So, in a way, we are also helped by this ecosystem in Washington where we have great services for accessibility. So, it's, it's, it's another dimension I want to mention because it's not always easy to have, especially in-person services, uh, accessibility services. It's, uh, in, in our case, we, we have a little bit of... Uh, you know, uh, a positive uh, help from our, from our immediate environment. Right. I know Gallaudet has been wonderful at supporting it and Cloud Stout. And, but it was just interesting because I don't always see disability inclusion accessibility conferences walking the walk. Their websites aren't accessible. They are not having captioning. They're not doing cart services right. So, And I'm not criticizing because I do things wrong all the time. But I we do have to just give kudos to the M Enabling Summit. That's why my team gets behind it. So anyway, but I'll be quiet. Turn it back over to you, Neil. All right. Thank you. And I, I, I agree that it does cost a lot of money to, to do this stuff. And, and I think that there are there are a few conferences that do it well. Um, you know, M Enabling being one, Funker has been good with you know 
you, you, the signing and, and when you go to the ILO, you always get international sign language. But part of the problem, and, and, and Excel kind of alluded to it, that Washington's a good place to have access to the services is the scarcity of those services. Exactly. Uh, um, it, it's actually really hard to book sign language interpreters. Try getting them for Global Accessibility Awareness Day every year when there is this sort of huge competition for everybody to show how accessible they are, and, and, and it becomes even even more fraught. So I think that there's, there's also a case for looking at ways that we can apply technology to make these conferences more oh. accessible as well. Yeah. You, you are right, Neil. And you know, one of the sessions this year at the MME Summit is about the role of automation in accessibility and what are the uh, upsides and risks of uh, automation. Uh, but many people will tell you who are in that space for many, many years, like yourself, I guess, in order to scale up accessibility long term to all type of organizations, uh, small and big and small and large, uh, automation will have to be uh, to be leveraged, uh, and and it's very controversial because there are many cases where uh, automation creates little disasters. Uh, we have an example with the overlay situation. I mean, it's very well documented. There was a great New York Times article not too long ago about it. You know, so it's, it's well intended, but with uh, huge huge problems. Uh, so so the, the the and it's the same for services captioning automated captions. It's the same for potentially automated descriptions for, for alt text. You know, it's the same for, uh, certainly for avatars or sign language, which are, you know, uh, taboo for deaf persons because they, they, some of it misses completely the, the cultural aspect of sign language and their, uh, you know, uh, human to human touch of sign language that is necessary for persons to communicate. So yeah. it's, it's tough. It's very yeah. tough. I, 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 I agree. It's 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 uh, it's a right. double edged sword. You know, we, we, we certainly um, you know we know that the people have fair criticisms of the accuracy of of automatic captions and of alt text and everything else. At the same time, the progress that has been made over the last few years has been really significant. So that right. the, the quality has improved an awful lot exactly. and, 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 and what we can expect is that, that the quality will improve again and get to a point where it um, becomes much more acceptable uh, and, and mainstream at least for certain scenarios now there will always be a place for human to human services where accuracy is more greatly needed but but i do think that if we want ubiquitous accessibility we're going to have to rely on technology but we need to build that with the community i know antonio has got a quick comment before we close don't you feel that sometimes we also need to look at the way how we train uh, accessibility professionals for the uh, at university level at different levels for them also to consider the needs and that business can actually become customers i'm telling you this for, for a very clear example my niece is about to finish her sign language studies in Portugal. And everyone in their class is being driven to work in the social sector. So I asked her, can you talk with your professors now? How would they relate if you were to work in a business to support uh, 
business communication. Oh, no, they told me not even to go there. Don't you feel that some, we need to sometimes build these bridges and sometimes make these shifts? What's your view on that? You mean for, for uh, is, it, is your question related to academia in particular? No, uh, the way are we in general uh, educate accessibility professionals in different areas. Sometimes it can, in some countries can be very focused to the social sector, to health, and, and delivering services to business is not really in the mind of those that educate. Right. So, so in, in fact, uh, that's a great question. We, as, as, you, as you may know, we, we, we conduct what's called the DARE Index uh, research uh, periodically at GSPICT. Last DARE Index was covering 137 countries, and we collect data from groups of persons with disabilities and experts of inaccessibility that uh, gives us information on what's happening in their countries in terms of what's happening. And we divide that index uh, with 20, in 20, 20 variables, and there are uh, five variables for commitment, five variables for capacity to implement, and 10 variables for actual outcome for persons with disabilities in different sectors uh, in terms of accessibility. And in the capacity to implement, we ask the question about the, about the availability of courses in accessibility in the country, either in universities or for professionals. And uh, it's 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 a problem. Uh, more than two thirds of the countries have nothing, uh, and that is one of the key issues that we are facing. That and the fact that locally persons with disabilities are not involved in any policy making or monitoring for accessibility. So uh, education is crucial. Uh, certainly, I see two initiatives worldwide today which are really very important. There is Teach Access, which promotes uh, uh, a curriculum for college and universities in accessibility, which I think addresses the vacuum that exists in many places where, you know, you train uh, computer engineers and uh, folks who are going to be involved in executive decisions in companies with digital matters, but they have no idea what digital accessibility is about, not even the faintest idea. They never heard of it. And they are going to be designing systems, designing software, user interface, websites, and they have never heard about accessibility. So trying to teach people at the university and college level is extremely important, not only in the computer science domain, but in every domain that eventually is going to be involved in using technology. Now, the other aspect is uh, training the huge number of professionals who are dealing with uh, accessibility. Of course, that's something we, you know, at IAP, uh, we, we try to, to do. Uh, as you know, we have that, a certified professional in accessibility core competency uh, certification uh, exam, and the, the, we, we, we put to the, at the disposal of all members and everybody else outside the association uh, our joint course with uh, Princeton University on accessibility. And that's a very strong foundation for folks to understand the, you know, the fundamental issues around disability, barriers to uh, digital uh, interactions, and solution that exists. So at least when they are in an executive position, they have a notion of what to do, uh, you know, what's what's happening, what are the solutions, you know. Uh, and so to answer your question, that's probably the most important way to for an organization to to make progress is to ask their folks to, I mean, take course, get certified. Actually, at the summit, we'll be celebrating our 5,000 certified person. 
uh, since we started the program, uh, I think four or five years ago. So it's uh, it's going it's it's going phenomenally well, and uh, we we see that as a very practical, very necessary step uh, for organization. And we we see in very large organization where you have decentralized units, and that's true in academia and, and in the private sector or even in government agencies. That the strategy is often to have at least one champion that is CPAC certified so that there is someone there that can raise the red flag or you know give uh, advice or guidance to their colleagues so one certified guy is going to influence you know hundreds of situations where uh, otherwise you will have uh, an inaccessible uh, output you know for, for the organization so uh, I think it's unfortunately it's not we, we would need 500,000 not 5,000 you know but you have got to start somewhere and uh, so we are we are dedicated definitely to, to push in that direction. And, and, and Antonio, thank you for the question. That's that's a fundamental issue today is the gap in knowledge, skills, and motivation to get things done, to be accessible. Thank you, Axel. And, and um, we've been working with IAAP um, when we created the um, digital accessibility apprenticeship standards as well. So again, skills initiatives in business are really important. Um, and that that sort of professionalization at all levels across all the domains is, is much needed. So thank you very much. Um, just a reminder, if people are interested in registering, it's m-enabling.com. Need to thank my Cleartech for keeping us captioned and, and accessible. And thank everybody for joining in the chat. Don't forget, uh, the parent organization is g3ict.org. Thank you very much. And, and don't forget, if you wish to support us, you can support our GoFundMe campaign to keep us on air for another eight years. Thank you. Thank you, Axel. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, Deborah. Thank you, Antonio, very much. And great to see you and great discussion. Thank you. I agree. Great discussion.